Good morning. Welcome to Pomerado Christian Church. I am just going to quick say to remind everyone if you didn't notice that this Sunday is Youth Takeover, which means we have middle school and high school students helping out all over the place. You'll see a lot of them. I will also say um, we, we love serving and um, this isn't like a show or a performance. We're just here to worship with you guys. And so in just a moment, we're going to pray. Um, but just so you know, uh, Youth Takeover, we got a bunch of middle school and high school students helping out, and of course, the leaders as well. So let's pray before we dive into worship. God, thank you so much for this morning, um, for being who you are, for giving us life and breath this morning. I pray that we would use that life and breath for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. So my name is Jared. Williams, and I'm going to be uh, one of the people giving the sermon this Sunday. And uh, if you're new here or you haven't been here recently, uh, I promise you're at the right church. Uh, <laughs> I, I know I don't look like JP, but it's Optic Youth Takeover Sunday, so yeah. Uh, so basically, we just got tired of how you guys are doing things, and so here we are taking over. Um, just kidding, of course. We love all the work you guys do to make, sure, to make service happen every Sunday morning. This is how we're going to show our appreciation towards that and give you a chance to come to church without the stress of making service run. And pray that our youth group will do justice to the work you guys do. Um, but moving along from that explanation, I'm taking over the third part of our recent series. Our senior pastor, JP, has taken us through called We Are the Church. The first week, JP took us through Acts 1 and discussed the idea that being part of the church is more than just attending on Sunday mornings. It's being plugged into the people and the purpose of the church. And then last week, our main scripture was Matthew 16, 18. And JP took us through the idea that the church isn't filled with perfect people. It's filled with people who've been changed by God to make a change in the world. That being said, I'm not perfect. God isn't finished making and is changing me yet. So if you don't like my sermon, that's probably what I'm going to use as an excuse. So, yeah. But in all seriousness, as a teenage Christian who attends public school and has had uh, my fair share of mischief, close your ears, mom and dad, uh, likely still will, um, this summer has been my greatest yet by far. And for that, I must thank God and this great church community for giving me these memories, whether that's because of your donation to our amazing youth group to help send us to Hume Lake Christian Camp uh, to get to meet Jesus and grow in our faith, our awesome youth pastor who goes above and beyond, takes us on fun beach days, takes us to worship concerts, uh, keep up until three in the morning with a bunch of crazy stuff, almost willingly. Um, <laughs> All the other volunteers who drove up there to serve us and God in the process. But specifically, I want to talk about Hume Lake just a bit more. Because up at Hume, I was very fortunate to spend two weeks surrounded by a strong community of Christians determined to pursue a better relationship with God. Every time I've been to Hume, I, it's been a life-changing experience. I can deeply feel God's presence and, and everything and see him in everything we see. However, sadly, once we go down the mountain, as we say, it proves more difficult to pursue God with the same passion and fire and to see him and all his greatness. But don't we all get like that sometimes? Like, 
maybe for you it's not Hume, but like your small group or Sunday mornings, and we're all here together, and we're all here to focus and learn on God. And then we just walk out and kind of leave it here. But I think a lot of you would relate to me in this, that when we aren't connected to the church, connected to the community of God's people, I mean by that, the fellow believers, the brothers and sisters in our faith, then we soon see how we tend to be less in community and less with less in relationship with our Creator, our Heavenly Father, our Lord. And when we are not in a good relationship with our Heavenly Father, it can be harder to hear His will, especially as a new believer. We are the church. So why is it that we can come to Sunday service and then we could walk out and just leave this church, us, the community, behind us? Let us just imagine an alternate universe where we would come to church and you're the only one here. We go to Hume Lake and you're the only one there. You, it's just you as yourself as a believer. How terrifying that is. Nobody holding you accountable, nobody praying for you. That's a very scary thought. The reason us who get to go to Hume see so much more spiritual growth than here is because it is together. Everything is together. If you'll open this to the scripture in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, we're going to see what the early Christian church looked like according to the Bible. <clears throat> All, right. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God, and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. <clears throat> I really enjoy this scripture because of how Disney and happily ever after it sounds. But this is real life, it's the Bible, and we all know the universe isn't perfect at the end of verse 47. But let me briefly repeat what we just went over. Not to be redundant, but to make sure we all see how profound this section of scripture is. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day and shared... Hold on. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Let me pause here because we continue to, before we continue on to the rest of the scripture, because I just wanted to discuss how nobody had to ask the body of believers to do everything together. Nobody asked them to 
invite other believers into their home, share their meals with one another with great joy and generosity in doing so. They obviously got the ideas from somewhere, God, but the believers were joyful, joyful in giving up their earthly possessions in pursuit of a relationship with the Heavenly Father because the Holy Spirit is now in them. As we saw last week during JP's sermon, they were moved to do what was best and didn't resist being moved by God because they knew they were commanded by the best. Please join me again at the top of verse 46. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for all the Lord's, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. What I find particularly interesting about the scripture in verse, in verse 46 is how it ends, because it ends with a hyphen, because they're interrupting themselves, want to grab your attention again, let you know you need to hear this part. Luke could have gone on all day, and then we ate another meal together, we had a barbecue, uh, we went surfing together, but it doesn't matter what he would have said, because what matters is that they all did it together, praising God. And that's what matters, all the while praising God. He wanted to make it very explicit. Yes, we all met in one place and uh, shared all our stuff. Yes, I sold my property and possessions, shared the money with those who needed it. But don't get it twisted. Don't get it confused. Don't get me wrong. Because the whole time, it was to praise God and enjoying the goodwill of the people, the community. Then each day, God added to the, that fellowship those who are being saved. Earlier, I mentioned to you all a brief summary of my very personal experience of Hume Lake. But I didn't just mention that to uh, thank the community, but because of the community at Hume. Because at Hume Lake, we all go up together in a bus. We all share a tent together. We all sleep together. We complete challenges together. We worship together. We walk, talk, cry together and dove into the Word of God together. We all even ate with our hands tied together, all the while praising God. <laughs> Not joking. But imagine how different my account would be if I was the only person in that Christian campground. Would I still have got that hymn high? Would I still have grown meaningfully in my faith? If Pomerado Christian Church had a community like Hume, would the hymn high ever fade? I don't think so. But the service must continue. So what we have next is a powerful testimony which demonstrates a part of the great strength that is community. From one of our sisters in Christ at this church and serving to our youth ministry, thank you for your time. From a broken home. When I think about the first about 10 or 11 years of my life, everything was pretty normal. We lived in Pasadena and I'm one of five kids, but uh, the summer that I was 11, my dad got a job transfer to San Diego. So he took a job in San Diego and our family moved to Escondido the summer that I was 11. And so it was pretty exciting. We were moving somewhere new. But a little bit after that, my mom decided um, that 
that she just didn't really like being married anymore. She really didn't like being a mom anymore. So she took off. It took a little while. She quit coming home a lot and then little by little she decided uh, it was time to move out and so she got an apartment probably by the end of my sixth grade year and um, got a boyfriend and started living the life that she had wanted and so that left my dad at home with five kids you know he was he was a dad he goes to work he gets he brings the the bread home you know he's the breadwinner he had a job he wasn't really a child raising guy he was an okay guy but he just didn't know what to do uh, so during this time you know I think he was heartbroken and, and was lost and um, decided that what would be good for him is to find something to to invest in so he bought this little property and started fixing it up so he would get up early in the morning and go to work and then come home and then go over to this house that he had bought that he wanted to have as a rental and start working on it and fixing it up. So he was gone at nights and weekends. So there was five kids at home and uh, we were kind of on our own. So I found kids in the neighborhood to hang out with, but they were older. They were high school kids, 15, 16 years old. So I started spending a lot of time with them. And so um, I started doing the things that they were doing. So I was 12 and I started trying cigarettes and by the time that I was 13 I started smoking pot and drinking alcohol and so through my junior high seventh and eighth grade I was kind of in an unsupervised home and and um, messing around with drugs and alcohol and cigarettes and um, school became really uninteresting to me so I kind of quit going and in eighth grade, I remember I had more truancies than I did actually have days at school. So the school every once in a while would call home and leave a voicemail that I had missed school. So I would be there and my dad wouldn't, so I would just erase the voicemail. And so I don't think he really even knew that I wasn't going to school. One night about halfway through eighth grade, my mom was over for some reason and uh, a letter came in the mail that night from the school and it had a list of all the dates that I had been truant. <laughs> so my parents opened it and they were like, what? So I ran, I stood up and ran into my bedroom and slammed the door and sat on my bed and I, I kept thinking, what am I gonna say? You know, what, how, am I, how am I gonna defend myself? What am I gonna say to my parents when they storm in here and they uh, uh, confront me with this? Um, but they never did. <laughs> I remember sitting on my bed for like an hour. Thinking, well, I guess they don't care. <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter. And so, like about an hour later, I walked out and um, my dad was in bed, my mom was gone. I don't know where my siblings were, they were gone. And I just, I think I thought, well, it's okay. I guess it's okay that I'm not going to school and, you know, that I'm doing these things with my life. So it kind of continued. I, I got out of eighth grade with all Ds. I think it was a social promotion. The teachers probably kind of knew my story a little bit and pushed me on to ninth grade and probably were happy to, to get rid of me. So ninth grade wasn't much better. I kind of squeaked by, I got into 10th grade, squeaked by, I was still messing around with drugs and alcohol almost, almost regular, probably every day. 
or most weekends at least. Um, the end of 10th grade, my dad said, hey, we're gonna move closer to my works. We lived in Escondido and he worked in Point Loma. So he said, let's move down there. He had bought a house in Ocean Beach that he had fixed up on his weekends. So we moved down to Ocean Beach. So again, I thought, okay, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get into 11th grade with a new attitude and a new set of friends. But, you know, guess what? That didn't happen. So I got into 11th grade and, and really struggled those first few weeks and months. I couldn't meet people. I couldn't uh, succeed at school. Uh, and I wanted to drop out. My dad said, well, if you take the GED and you pass, you could, you couldn't quit going. So right away I signed up, it was like September, and I signed up for the GED. I got my results in November, and that was it. I walked out of school, I never went back. Uh, but my life was really spiraling downhill. It was getting darker, and uh, the drug and alcohol use was getting worse, and um, the, social, the isolation was worse. But funny, when we moved to Ocean Beach, I had a neighbor, and the neighbor was a young lady in her 20s, about seven or eight years older than me, with a couple of small kids, and she befriended me. She would invite me over every once in a while and say, hey, you wanna come over for a cup of tea? And we would just talk. Every time I went to her house, she had a Bible on her table. And she always had this like really great set of teas, and. She would offer me a cup of, tea, cup of tea, and she'd ask me about my life, and it was interesting because I realized up until that point, I felt like nobody really cared what was happening in my life. When you feel that sense of um, neglect or that nobody cares, you really feel worthless. It was nice to have somebody who asked me about what I was doing and what was happening. And she almost always wove a story in about the Bible. And the one that she would tell me a lot um, was about the Israelites. And how it took them 40 years to get from Egypt to the Promised Land because they screwed up so many times. And I think she knew that I felt that way, that I was just screwing up over and over again. And so she would just say, hey, you know, God is a loving God, God is a forgiving God, and God is there for you. It took me a lot of years to actually hear what she was saying because I think I was around 16 or 17 when I started having tea with Betsy. And at 23, I finally understood that Jesus loved me. Jesus died for me. My sins were wiped away. My mistakes were gone. Um, and so, a lot of years of darkness followed by this ray of light and this hope that comes from Jesus. And it, it really, it changed my life. When I was 23, I prayed uh, for Jesus to forgive my sins, to come into my life. And uh, I all of a sudden I had hope. I knew that I was a child of God. And if I didn't belong anywhere in this world, I belonged in the kingdom of God and I could do anything if I was a child of God. So I decided to go to college and little by little, God put it on my heart that I could do this. And so I um, made it through junior college, transferred to a four-year university, 
and uh, and along this way, um, really felt called to to become a doctor. So little by little, uh, took me six and a half years, I think, to make it through college, but. I did it and then I was able to uh, apply to medical school and went to medical school. And the way that God has worked in my life since then and the things that God has shown me and the way that he's used the pain of my past to help me get through my future is, um, it's incredible. I mean, there's so many stories about God's provision and God's grace in my life. Um, but the most powerful is the power of love and the power of forgiveness. And I think my friend Betsy, she could have approached it a whole different way. She could have told me what I was doing wrong. She could have told me why I was falling short of what God wanted for me. But the message that she always gave me was that God is a God of love, God is a God of forgiveness, and that Jesus Christ bore my sins. So when I think about the people who are healed in the Bible, I think about the lepers and the paralyzed and the people who God touched and healed. It's so easy for me to believe because I was healed from such painful things. So my verse, sorry that I'm so emotional. <laughs> my verse is uh, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and heard me cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth. I should be saying that cheerfully. <laughs> so uh, that is my story. God has pulled me out of a pit and given me a firm place to stand. I just want to start off today by saying how much I love my mom. Um, she's the greatest human being, one of them at least, that I've ever met in my entire life. And I am not just saying that because she's my mom. Um, yeah, she's just so generous and kind and caring and she just, nothing is ever about her. She's just always lives for others. But as you can see through her testimony, she has not always had the easiest life. And I can kind of agree with that. Like, I've been through it, I know. <laughs> but um, anyways, if, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Madeline Verlaitis. Um, we just watched my mom's testimony, and I'm one of the youth leaders here. I am currently going into my third year of college, and I'm just transferring down from San Francisco State, actually going to Cal State San Marcos, and I start tomorrow, so <laughs> very excited. But <laughs> yeah, thank you, yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, um, my first few years of college um, up in San Francisco, it was just like one of those things, like every kid who goes away from home for college, you know, newfound independence, you're away from your parents. I didn't really know what to do with myself, so I kind of just hopped right into college life, and newsflash, college life is gross. <laughs> it's not It's not the best place, and um, very shocking, I know. But um, anyways, just like one of the best ways that I can describe a stereotypical college these days, and sorry if this is crude or whatever, but um, is a place where kids kind of go to get away from their parents, uh, not necessarily to get a higher education. I mean, there's always those few that are like there for 
you know, school. But then there's <laughs> other people who are there to just like party, get blackout drunk, and hook up with random people. And um, sorry if to those parents who are sending their kids away to college right now, um, just ruined it for you. But um, anyways, um, being like an impressionable first year college student, I kind of just hopped right into that, you know, not really knowing what to do with myself. So, but kind of living that way for two years uh, kind of got me hooked up with some bad people. Um, and I just find, I found myself getting further and further away from God and closer and closer to bad situations and depression and just all around not good things for me. And I just found myself in a place where I didn't really want to be. I wasn't close with God anymore and I was just doing a bunch of bad things. And so I started praying and reading my Bible and all those things that you do when you're trying to get closer to God. And, um, it was great, like, when I was doing that. Like, I started feeling empowered to live for Christ and be a Christian and do all that stuff. And, um, and then, like, five minutes later, I'd be around my friends and falling into the same routines that I would fall into whenever I was around them. And um, su surprisingly, this is actually where I found the importance of community. Um, anyways, humans are super impressionable people, like, whether or not we want to say we are or whatever, but we are. Um, the people that you have in your life are going to have a huge impact on the way you live your life. So... You can go to church every Sunday, you can read your Bible, you can pray, whatever, but if you have the wrong people in your life, you will just continually keep falling down. Just like Jared said, up at Hume Lake, we experience this great thing where we're around other Christians that are just so excited about their faith and so excited about God and that we can just like portray that in our lives for that week that we're up there. It's just so easy to be a Christian. And then we come back down the mountain and we may not necessarily be around bad people, but we're not also not always around Christians. And it just, we lose our excitement. And it's just like, it's just so sad, you know? And so um, I say this not to, or I say this to show that the importance of a good community and how we should be involved in a good community. But I also just want to point out that we should share our community with others that aren't always surrounded by good communities and that are surrounded by bad influences. Um, anyways, if you want to open your Bible, <laughs> I'm going to share a story from Acts chapter 10. You don't have to. If you don't want to, I'm going to read it to you, and it's kind of long, but um, I'm going to start in verse 9. It's about Peter on his roof, <laughs> basically, um, and it goes a little bit like this. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Uh, throughout the rest of chapter 10, Peter uh, basically goes to this man named Cornelius' house and uh, shares the word of God with the Gentiles, which was kind of unheard of back in the day because the Gentiles were not necessarily known as Christ followers. But in chapter 11, he gets criticized for basically sharing the word of God with the Gentiles, and this is how he replies. We're going to start in verse 5 if you're following along. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill, and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up into heaven again. 
Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we, ent and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear to his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with, Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who, was, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was to think that I could stand in God's way. When they heard this, they had no further objection, objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. In the Old Testament, particularly Leviticus, we hear over and over and over again that the clean should stay away from the unclean because the unclean will make the clean unclean. Very wordy, but yeah, basically the point. Um, and today, it's a little bit different. Today, through Jesus, the clean, the clean carry the cure to uncleanliness, which is Jesus Christ. So today, the clean should be seeking out the unclean because through Christ, we can make the unclean clean. Um, I, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 12, sorry, let me find it really fast. Um, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 12, we hear Jesus say, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And Jesus was called down from heaven, not not to call out the righteous, but to call out the sinners. So why should we be any different? What I wanted to show through my part of the sermon today is that yes, we need to surround ourselves with a good community because we need to thrive and have a good relationship with God. But also we need to reach out to those that aren't always surrounded by good communities and are surrounded by bad communities that either don't know God or think that they're screwing up too much to have a good relationship with him. My, um, in my, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, Jesus states that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We as Christians are called out to be the Betsy's of the world. My mom found Christ through someone sharing God's love with her, not by telling her what she was doing wrong and how to live her life. Do not take the splinter out of my eye before taking the plank out of yours, but instead share the love and grace of God and praise his name and people will take notice. In Acts chapter two, verses 46 through 47, it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. We can walk out of the building, but not out of the church. So why don't we just take it with us wherever we go? How will you be a Betsy to someone? And who will be your Melissa? All right, let's pray. Um, dear Lord, I just wanna thank you so much for today. Um, I wanna thank you for bringing us all here so that we can hear your word and live through you, Lord. Um, I wanna pray for the rest of the service today that it'll just go smoothly and that everyone will have their confidence and that you will just speak through them and work through them, Lord. Um, and I pray that as we come out of the building that we just take the church with us and that we just make disciples out of you and that you work through us, Lord. Um, we love you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're so glad that you guys were able to come and hear our sermon and the amazing worship that we were able to experience. As you leave today, we don't want these words to just stay words, but we want you to act it out. So the youth thought it would be really fun for 
each and every person to get their own tea bag as a reminder of the tea that Mrs. Verlides was able to have with Betsy that drastically changed her life. Now, <laughs> yes, awesome. Now that does not have to be a one-on-one. -on -one. It can be as a community. It can be a tea party. You can have a tea party and you can all get together and share that amazing experience of Jesus with someone who doesn't know him. How amazing would that be? How drastic can we change the world just by one tea packet? Thank you. We hope you have an amazing week.